Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a, a great show lined up for today. Very timely show. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about uh, the index card money rules. Something you've probably never heard of. I hadn't heard of it till recently. I hadn't either. But yeah, like this, this apparently has gone viral on the internet. It's a simple index card that this professor wrote out. And, um, you know, very interesting. They're, they're, he says there, there's all the money rules you'll ever need to know. On a three on by five three card. by four, five index card. So like we're going to talk about that and, uh, you know, give our opinion of those nine rules. We're going to add on a little bit. Yeah, right? we are. We're we going to give our twist. We're going to tweak it. But a I like bit. it. It's a great base. And then we're going to follow that up with uh, a little discussion about tax reform, Steve. The, um, the, the new framework was recently released and we're going to dive into it. Obviously, a lot of uh, information and details still to be determined. But it's starting to take shape a little bit. Um, we think it's probably going to take a little while to get approved, but uh, we'll go into some of the, uh, the the provisions of that new framework and um, got to start thinking about this stuff because uh, it's going to impact us. Yeah, it would be some major changes if it got passed the way it's kind of being introduced. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll be in, it's an interesting topic. So we'll jump into that. Yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro and I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week on Friday afternoons. Yeah, go to our website, moneymd.net. We have uh, the podcast up there, like you just mentioned, Steve. We also have a whole bunch of videos. We've we've done some recordings. We have a couple funny ones in there, but uh, most of them are serious talk, topics, talking about long-term care, talk about the stock market a little bit as well. So go check that out. We also have a Facebook page. Uh, the Money Doctors are there. We put, post a video on a weekly basis about our prescription of the week. So a lot of different ways, a lot of resources out there we're trying to, to help folks with. Absolutely. And email us your questions, too. You can email us right off our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, it's been an exciting... Uh, well, before we jump into that, you know... Um, I just have to say, I mean, what a tragedy this past week mm-hmm. out in Las Vegas. Um, you know, our hearts go out to the families out there and the people that were affected. And uh, it's just hard to believe that kind of evil exists in the world. Yeah, it really is. It's sad. And all the people that were affected, you think about 59 people killed and over 500 injured. Think about all the, the sphere um, around each one of those people. The, the number of people that have been impacted by this is incredible. Um, sad. Yeah. It really is. So uh, that really puts a damper on my next topic, yeah, which was a, a funner topic. And that is, you know, September was a great month for golf. domination. Golf. It was a great month. The it U.S. beat domination. the international. All it, they did. A President's Cup. Yeah. Uh, did great uh, lead in there. You're exactly right. I mean, Americans dominated internationals. Absolutely. It wasn't I even close. Even, it wasn't even close. I don't know what the final point total was. It was like, you know, it's 18 to 9 or yeah, something. It was, it was over on like the third day. It was. It was huge. And so. that's, that's about it for the sports conversation No, here. no, no. And then we jump right into <laughs> football. right along here. <laughs> amazing. How about them dogs, man? Yeah, they five are. Oh, yeah, I mean, top five now. 
Yeah. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs are doing well. I think That's Tech, amazing. And Tech right. is doing pretty well as also. So. And they're right behind Clemson. <clears throat> oh, Clemson. Are they doing good? This yeah. I haven't heard. You know, they, did you hear that they beat three three top t- three top 20 teams I did in the, not hear that. In the month of September. I haven't heard. Never been done before. Never. Really? Ever. Well, ever been I, done before. I haven't heard that. I don't. I follow golf now. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm a golf fan. <laughs> so much for the Gamecocks. Yeah, so. they're having a tough, tough year, but yeah. we still have a positive record, and we're going for win number four this next week. There so, you go. You know, there you go. I'm staying optimistic. Exactly. Well, we're, we're rooting for you over here. <laughs> World's smallest pom-pom. That's, I'm shaking over here for you. So go Gamecocks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but jumping right into our show here, um, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, this is a um, talking about the S&P 500 has uh, experienced 10 separate drops of at least 5% during its uh, bull market, um, the run that's lasted 103 months. And... Um, you know, but uh, there's been no significant drops in uh, about 19 months since um, you go back all the way to February of 2016. So I, I guess a couple of takeaways here is there will always be drops in the market, always have been. Absolutely. Um, no one can predict when they're going to be. And so people are saying, well, it's been 19 months. We're due for one. That's not how the stock market works. It's based on it's other factors <laughs> than people's opinions. That's exactly right. You know, and to put, I mean, that makes it sound like when you look at those stats, it makes it sound like the stock market's at this incredible high and, and it is a new highs, but, you know, it makes it sound like it has had this incredible run that's unsurpassed. But actually, if you go back and look at the 10-year return, which I just did yesterday, by chance, of the S&P 500, the S&P 500's averaged 7.6% per year over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm less than the long-term average, which was 10.1% per year over the last 90 years. So the S&P 500, when you throw the last 10 years into it, which includes the the down market in 2008, it's actually underperformed its long-term average. So the market's not at some incredible highs like a lot of people think. I mean, it is a little bit above average. Sure. In terms of prices, but you know, if earnings continue to grow like they have, and if we get you know a couple of good years of earnings, sure, it and, would equal that out. And the tax reform could help. I mean, there's some Definitely. some you know expectation that's going to help earnings and so forth. But you're right; you got to put these things in perspective. Trying to make um, decisions um, on even statistics and facts and so forth, no one really knows, right? So that's you got to exactly be diversified, right. have a plan. Um, be smart about your investments. Don't make decisions based on emotions. That's exactly right. Okay, great fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the index card money rules. So, John, I was bumping around on my subscriptions to a podcast the other day, as I like podcasts, as I'm sure everybody out there does, <laughs> Listening right? to us, that's right. Love that. Well, I found myself listening to Freakonomics, um, which I love listening to those guys. I don't know if you've ever listened to them. But uh, it's a University of Chicago economist, Stephen Levitt, and a New York Times journalist, Stephen Dubner. Um, so two very interesting guys to listen to. Um, these guys are great to listen to. I like their, kind of like their original book they wrote. Um, they say they explore the hidden side of everything, and they explore the psychology behind it. So they're very interesting. It's a well-produced show. Um, they've been doing it for over 10 years, I believe, so a long time. But they were interviewing uh, another professor, Harold Pollack. He's a University of Chicago professor and a social scientist who wrote a now-famous index card 
um, not too long ago uh, with all the investment advice you'll ever need on one handwritten scribbled out index card. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, you know, and so he wrote this card, published it on the Internet, and it went viral, and it has nine single steps um, on this index card that are scratched out, um, and he now has a book called The Index Card. But Pollock calls the index card the financial industry's basic dilemma because he says it's the best personal financial. He says the best personal financial advice that you can write can all fit on one index card. Yeah, and this this information is all free, right? That's, that's <laughs> what mean, he says. Yeah, and of course, you know, there's there's a lot of information about dieting as along along as other things. It doesn't make it easy. So we're going to go through this list here in a minute, and it does sound simple. There's certainly some details that are underneath it that that do confuse people. But following the success of the index card post, he uh, Pollock co-authored a book. It's called The Index Card, While Personal Advice Doesn't Have to Be Complicated. And in the book, they elaborate on simple financial advice that um, he put on this index card. Now, they've modified it a little bit over time, and we're going to do the same thing here in a minute. But it, it doesn't. your finances don't have to be complicated. Yeah, it's it's not complicated. Just like you mentioned about dieting, it's not complicated. You know, the information is free. It's implementing it that's hard. Yeah, it's it's uh, calories coming in have to be you know less than calories going out. So exactly, you know, the the basic concepts are very simple. Mm -hmm. It's the implementation that that you know can get hard, and uh, it's like that with your finances. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to read the book to know why they added a tenth one here. I mean, their tenth one was remember the index card. And so I haven't read the book, but these are really interesting rules. So we're going to review these now famous nine rules and and give the money doctor prescriptions on what we think about them and if we would revise or add to these rules. So here we go with Pollock's nine rules for financial advice, the, the nine rules, all you would ever need, according to him. First one here is to max out your 401k or the equivalent employee contribution. Um. Okay, I mean, we would certainly agree with this one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, however, we would say max out your match in your retirement plan and then fully fund a Roth IRA um, where it'll be tax-free forever. You know, and if you're over 50, you can put $24,000 in a 401k plan. So you should, should you really put all that money in your pre-tax company retirement plan if they're only going to match, say, 5%. Um, and we'd say no. I mean, you want a healthy dose of after-tax money in a Roth IRA when you retire as well so that you'll have some control over your taxes. So if all your money goes in a pre-tax 401k or IRA plan, then you're going to be forced into a higher tax bracket every time you need a little bit extra money for a vacation or a new vehicle. Um, so having a significant sum in a Roth is would be really good in retirement because it gives you some flexibility in retirement to control your taxes. And also IRAs require you to take an RMD required minimum distribution. As you know, John at age 70 and a half, whereas Roth IRAs don't. So we agree with this rule in general, but you know, with a significant modification, you know, max out after you get your max, max out a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. you know, then you can come back to, fully funding your, your yeah. 401k plan yeah. and that's if you what, want. And that's what Dave says. Dave says the same advice. Get that match and put some money in a Roth account because, 
you know, if you have everything in after, in before tax, then you're at the whim of the government and their tax brackets. Exactly. You don't have a choice. So exactly. it's a very good number one. Number two here is buy inexpensive, well-diversified mutual funds. You know, if you've listened to us long enough, you know the, the money doctors agree with this rule. Low cost and diversification really is is a key to getting a good return and lowering risk. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with maybe using a target date fund inside your 401k or elsewhere, um, but those tend to be pretty simplistic and sometimes a little conservative. You can get a better return over time if you weight the dimensions of higher return, like small stocks and value stocks, uh, more heavily than than what you would get in a, in a target date fund. So, you know, if you're just starting out, you want to keep it simple. Then uh, the target date fund it makes a lot of sense. It's a reasonable allocation. Um, we we like to sure. tweak that a little bit, like I mentioned, um, based on what we see historically. And um, but but target date funds are not a bad option. Right, right, and certainly well diversified <laughs> mutual funds. We're all in on that. Yes, I certainly agree with that. So that's a good one. That was number two. Number three here is never buy or sell an individual security. The person on the other side of the table knows more than you do about that stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a good rule. Again, money doctors definitely agree with that rule. Um, individual stocks, they carry uh, much higher risk than a diversified portfolio. And statistically, you won't get a higher return on average than being in a well-diversified portfolio in the same asset class. So in general, you know, don't buy individual stocks. Something like, it's something like 20% of stocks account for all the positive return in the stock market studies have shown. So that means you have like an 80% chance of getting a loser mm-hmm. if you're buying individual stocks. I mean, so why take that chance? Sounds like the odds of going to, to Vegas. I mean, exactly. you know, you look at the casinos and how they operate and it's stacked against you. It's stacked way against you. So buying individual stocks, yeah, don't do that. We, we definitely agree with that rule. Next rule here is to save 20% of your money. Okay, I mean, he actually revised this in his book down to 10 to 20% because he said he was getting a lot of flack about (laughs) saving as much as 20%. But, you know, in general, we agree with that. I mean, right? I mean, 20% is a nice number. Um, You know, if you remember, folks that are out there listening, we we recommend 15%. And in my 22 years in this business, I've never seen anybody that came up short if they saved that much for a significant amount of time before retirement you know, 15%. So, however, though, for young people today, 20% might be a better number since, you know, you're likely not to have any pension and the future of Social Security is certainly questionable for young folks. Um, You know, also, this includes your match in your retirement plan. So if you're getting a 5% match, that means you only need to come up with 15% from all the other sources to hit that 20% target. So in general, yeah, we, we'd agree with that. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Number five here on the list is is pay your credit card balance in full every month. And, um, you know, we, we agree with that, obviously. But how about never using credit cards? I mean, that might be a better rule for many people out there. But if you do have the, the discipline to pay off, um, you know, the balance in full, then, then fine. But just make sure you're always paying them. If you're ever tempted to carry a balance, then, you know, do the Dave Ramsey thing and have a plastectomy and, and use a debit card instead. So cut those cards up. Um, certainly credit cards are they're a temptation. A lot of people can't handle those, Steve. So it may be better to stay away, you know, completely if, if possible. And if you want a card for travel, then maybe have one, but keep it frozen in a block of ice. You know, so exactly. it's difficult to get to. Difficult, like make it hard to get to. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, for most people, you know, 
carrying big credit card balances and paying off into the month doesn't work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way. So you got to have a lot of discipline. Yeah, you got to be careful. So we're we're kind of we're shying away from that rule. <laughs> so that was number five. Next one here is maximize tax advantage savings vehicles like Roth, SEP, and five twenty nine accounts. Well, yes, we certainly agree with this rule. You know, just as we talked about maxing out your Roths. I mean, for most people, four one k plan. Um, they do have the Roth options and, uh, you know, combining that with your 401k plan, that's kind of all you need. We we love the 529 plans for college savings as well, though. So if you have uh, kids to put through college, um, that's a great option as well to fund college. You know, one reason these accounts are so effective is people tend to leave them alone till they actually need them, till they actually retire so if you simply save in an after-tax account, then you're a lot more likely to dip into that money. Um, people tend to think of tax-advantaged accounts as untouchable, which is part of the, which is a huge part of why they're so successful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we agree with that. One. Number six, good. And then number seven here is pay attention to fees. Avoid actively managed funds. Well, again, the money doctors absolutely agree with this one, right? Um, I mean, expenses are very important when it comes to investing in actively managed funds that have a lot of internal trading. Uh, They have a lot of costs associated with that. So you want to pay attention to expense ratios of the funds you use. Um, You want to use low cost funds, which don't do any excessive trading inside the funds. You know, funds that trade a lot, they underperform more passively managed funds that are more well diversified on average due to their expenses. Studies have shown that. Um, they also tend to increase risk due to the market timing and stock picking that's going on inside those type of funds. So as you may know, we favor asset class funds, which are designed to capture dimensions of higher return over time. So again, you know, we, we agree with that rule. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Number eight yeah. here on the list, Steve, is, uh, make sure that, uh, the, your financial advisor commits to a fiduciary standard. And we absolutely agree with this. We, we, uh, hold ourselves to, uh, and we're required to hold ourselves to the fiduciary standard. Um, so you want to make sure that that advisor holds your best interest in mind and is under the fiduciary rule, which requires that. Um, otherwise, you know, there may be a suitability rule, that some people use, they get paid by commissions uh, to make an incentive, um, you know, with an incentive to make the transaction. So that's not the best relationship to be in. They may not be making the best decisions for you and your family. So make sure you got a fiduciary standard financial advisor. Yeah. So that's a great rule. And then his last rule here is a little bit weird. It's uh, promote social insurance programs to help people when things go wrong. Um, well, you know, I mean, social programs are certainly very important to many, many people, and that's why I think we have to fix government deficits, including Social Security and Medicare. Now, I mean, I think, you know, this this rule is probably tilted a little more toward the liberal side of of increasing social programs. My take, though, is to save the ones we have because they are very, very important. we got to fix them. So, you know, we got to vote people in that are are serious lawmakers that are serious about fixing Medicare and Social Security. Anyway, though, looking at these rules, I mean, we had a few tweaks to the rules. Um, They certainly are pretty solid rules to follow, though. So, you know, of course, um, it's sort of like losing weight. You know, it's not real complicated, but the details can be hard to follow. 
So you have to be serious about it. But, uh, yeah, in general, these index card rules are pretty good. Yes, I like them. <clears throat> I do, too. Good, All right. good topic. Good deal. And that leads us up here <clears throat> to our next thing, and that is the question of the week. Yeah, this has to do with a pension, Steve, and we run across this. Some folks in the area are fortunate enough to have pensions, and they have an option to choose income leveling. So the question is, is my wife is retiring this year, and um, uh, the husband's still going to work. And it says, should we not do income leveling if we don't need the money right now? So, um, you know, part of this has to do with taxes. You want to make sure that um, you know, you have enough money to live on today, but if you do income leveling, you're basically pulling a whole bunch of money in to a short period of time and it can increase your tax rate and put right. you in a higher tax bracket. Right. So, uh, that's a, certainly a consideration, but if you need the money to live, it's an option, but I, I think the tax piece of it for sure. most people uh, is something they need to consider. Yeah, sure. And my general recommendation to folks is if you need the money, by all means, you know, income level because you're but you're basically taking your Social Security early. OK, you're mixing, you're putting it in the mix and you're taking it early before you're 62. Um, however, if you don't need the money, why not leave Social Security out there and take Social Security when you need it? That way you get a nice bump up. You get a raise, mm-hmm. you know, because most pensions don't have inflation built in. They don't go up every year. So if you retire at 58, why not wait till, why not avoid income leveling, wait till 62 to draw Social Security, you get a nice raise, and that gives you a cost of living increase, and then maybe maybe draw the second Social Security if you're married at 66 and get another raise. Mm-hmm. So you get some bump ups along the way that'll help you, you know, uh, uh, compensate for inflation. Yeah, that's right. And so. take more trips. Exactly. We like that. I like that. Vacation. All right. Good Good topic. And that leads us up here to our next one, and that is tax reform framework. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's been so much talk about this in Washington and, you know, coming out of the administration about the tax reform. Um, Very interesting topic, John. So, yeah, let's dig into it. Yeah, this comes from uh, Charles Schwab. uh, 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 Michael Townsend wrote this article um, a couple days ago. Pretty good. Um, You know, Republican leaders, Steve and Washington, they they finally released their much-anticipated framework for the tax reform. I mean, the document offers really the most detailed account yet um, on uh, how the Republicans would like to overhaul the tax code. But it really it leaves a lot of questions that are unanswered. Um, The document was produced um, uh, recently, and it was a product of of weeks of negotiation between the so-called Big Six um, leaders of the White House, Senate, and House uh, representatives. So Steve Mnuchin is involved, Gary Cohn, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Orrin Hatch, and uh, Kevin Brady are the Big Six. So uh, hopefully those Hmm. guys have uh, talked to some of the other folks <laughs> to yeah. get their input on this, but they've uh, finally got some uh, framework out. Yeah, they probably should have included people like John McCain and people that are, you know... Influential. Voted, they're influential that voted against, you know, the the uh, yep. health care uh, deal because, you know, it only takes a couple of renegades and, and there's no chance of getting it passed. We'll see what happens here. But anyway, yeah, the stock market was well, a little changed after this was released. You know, it hasn't really affected the stock market. Kind of a muted reaction, I think, reflects the fact that this framework is far from any kind of workable legislation that really has a, a, a significant chance of getting passed in this form. You know, there's going to be some other hurdles out there. And while Republican leaders are pushing for quick action, the the substantive 
and political complexity of tax reform coupled with the, the tight schedule they have at the end of the year here, you know, makes it highly unlikely that this bill is going to get through before the end of the year. Um, so most observers believe tax reform is not going to be finalized until next year, 2018. And even then, it's not a sure thing because, yeah, I mean, it's it's got to get every, all the Republicans have to vote for it, basically. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and remember this, six Republicans, they crafted this uh, blueprint behind closed doors. Now 535 lawmakers with opinions will have a say in the details, and, and thousands of lobbyists looking to protect their, their carve-outs will also get in on the action. So uh, far from being done, it's nice to see it's actually been um, put out there for discussion. And so we're going to dive into some of the key elements here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the plan would cut the current seven individual tax rates down to three tax rates, 12%, 25%, and 35%. Sounds real familiar to the tax legislation back in the 80s for uh, Ronald, under Ronald Reagan. You know, <laughs> That's right. in 86, they cut it down to three tax brackets. That didn't last very long, if you recall. I mean, it got, a, it got revised very quickly within a few years back to like five brackets. So interesting. Um, yeah, significantly, the plan leaves some wiggle room for an additional top rate uh, that may be added to the highest income taxpayers. But that leave, they leave that decision up to Congress. Um, so recent reports suggest negotiators were considering leaving the top rate at, at the current 39.6%. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, we'll and they, they also talk about, Steve, doubling the standard deductions, 12000 for individuals and 24000 for couples. So that would, that would help some, some folks out that, that don't itemize. Um, that would help out a lot of people, quite frankly, which is a good thing. Um, the plan would also eliminate the alternative minimum tax and the estate tax. So I, I've hmm. heard some people not real happy about the estate tax going away, but yep. that's something to, uh, to consider. And on the business side of the tax code, I think there's a lot of positive things here. The plan would reduce the corporate tax, tax rate to 20%, and it would cap the tax rate um, that would be applied to pass-through entities such as sole proprietorships, partnerships, and S-corps, it would cap it at 25%. And there's still a lot of uncertainty about, you know, which small businesses would actually qualify for that. Um, but, you know, that's, I think that has a lot of people excited. And the proposal also uh, offers corporations a one-time incentive to repatriate untaxed earnings from overseas. But, you know, still a lot of questions here, but starting to come into play. We've heard these now for a couple of months, so it's not a, a complete surprise, but we're starting right. to see some numbers to it. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it would be a great thing to, to have a lower corporate tax rate. I think that would really help the economy. Um, so that's a good factor. Um, so what happens to the thousands of tax credits and deductions in the code? You know, that's the big question that everybody wants to know. Um, the plan says that it, it will only eliminate most itemized deductions, um, but it retains the tax incentives for home mortgage interest and charitable deductions. So those are the two big ones it keeps, throws most of the other ones out. Um, credits and deductions are handled. The, how they're handled has become one of the most controversial elements of the debate, of course, because there's so many special interest groups that are tied to those. Virtually every credit and deduction has a constituency that wants to preserve it. Sure. And, the high tax states like New York are fighting this big time about getting rid of the the uh, state, state tax, tax state deduction, local. Yeah. deduction because you know they're high tax states and it, it amounts to a 
to kind of a supplement to their state, right. their state income, that it's a big deduction for them. <clears throat> yeah, there's some other things that haven't really been mentioned either, Steve. Uh, the plan is silent on the tax rates for dividend income and capital gains. Don't really know what that looks like. There's also no mention of the fate of the net investment income tax. That's the the 3.8% surtax on investment uh, income for wealthier taxpayers. Um, there was some discussion on changes to the retirement saving incentives, um, like maybe taxing everything up front. So mm. everything would be a Roth. There you, you go. Know? So, cause they that, want the tax money today versus in the future. That would be interesting. Yeah. That, that would be scary in the future. I think, cause you're taking, you're making it right today, but your tax revenue is going to drop off significantly in the future. So they haven't come out with specifics on that. Um, and then there's some questions on how, how is this going to be paid for? The framework calls for an estimated $5 trillion in, uh, in tax cuts. So, you know, bottom line is there are, um, there are some numbers that are being posted and, and looked at out there. Still a lot of questions. I agree with you. I think it's, it's not going to happen in 2017. The question is going to be if it happens in 2018, do they retro back to 2017 year financials? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they will. I mean, maybe at the beginning of the year. Maybe they do. Typically, they have made those retroactive to the beginning of the year when key legislation. I will add that there is one more big hurdle here, and that is they have to pass this this bill known as the Budget Reconciliation Act, Mm -hmm. so that they can get this approved with a simple majority in the Senate. Right. And so, if they don't get that passed, it's a non-starter from the beginning. They get along though. Oh, yeah, they yeah, do. They do all agree. Yeah. Maybe they can get that passed. Democrats, Republicans, House, Senate, you know, they're they're all... They probably will bill. pass that because only Republicans can pass that. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's kind of innocuous. So, all right. Well, good topic. And that leads up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is pretty straightforward. If you have a 401k match, you should be taking advantage of that. Believe it or not, there's about 30% of workers... Who don't do that. And Steve, that's, that's uh, hard to believe. Yeah. You know, if you make, uh, um, let's just use some round numbers. Let's say you make 3000 in a month yep. and they give you a 3% match. That means you would have to contribute 3% and they would also give you 3%. That's $900 that they could, that they would match you. Um, per year, you mean? Per year, over per, the year. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a little bit higher well, than that, but yeah. basically a thousand bucks they're going to give you. So instead of making $36,000, you would make 37, but a thousand of that's going towards the retirement side of it. So it's, it's part of your salary. You need to think about it that way. Yeah. It's free money. You know, it's part of your compensation. Don't throw that away. You got to get your match. That's just, it's just common It's a no sense. brainer. It is as, free. As Dave Ramsey would say, that would be stupid. Not to get your match. <laughs> That's right. Okay? Dave, Dave so would say that. He would definitely say that. So keep that in mind. Don't be stupid with your match. Make sure you get Make it. Make sure you get that. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week on Money MD to hear more subscriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call, Richard Dunn Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.